Welcome to Far North Tokers. This is episode 103, September 3rd, 2018, with your host, Mid Toker. Thank you all for listening. Political Show, October 2nd, 2018, Fairbanks North Star Borough will be electing a new mayor. Four candidates, Christopher Quist, Robert Shields, Bryce Ward, and Nadine Winters. You're going to hear a lot of debates coming up here in the future. League of Women Voters, we may have the Youth Activist Forum, maybe they'll hold a debate. A lot of times, though, particularly with the issue of cannabis, we have supporters and non-supporters on both sides of the spectrum. Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative. Cannabis is a strange beast. It goes back and forth, doesn't it? So a lot of times it isn't brought up because sometimes you can affect your base by certain things you're saying. It's not brought up in any debates during the election. Very small if it is. Maybe someone will ask a question, but here at Far North Tokers, we have the opportunity to invite the guests on, ask them nothing but cannabis questions, and that's it. So that's what we've done. An invite went out to all four candidates, Quist, Shields, Ward, and Winters. At this point, two have accepted, Bryce Ward and Robert Shields. And now, Robert Shields. Nature's Relief. High-quality cannabis at a low price, with a focus on high CBD strains that might be useful to the body. Deli Style allows you to try different strains for just a couple dollars. We feature 100% local Fairbanks growers, offer a custom flower pre-roll that allows you to pick the strain, and we roll it in front of you. Daily specials and deals, year-round discounts. Nature's Relief in the heart of downtown Fairbanks, 5037. See you there. Marijuana has intoxicating effects and may be habit-forming and addictive. Marijuana impairs concentration, coordination, and judgment. Do not operate a vehicle or machinery under its influence. There are health risks associated with consumption of marijuana. For use only by adults 21 and older, keep out of the reach of children. Marijuana should not be used by women who are pregnant or breastfeeding. China Cannabis, North Pole Cannabis Dispensary, 1725 Richardson Highway, between North Pole and Fairbanks, right before the Badger Road exit. You're going to love this place. Convenient access right off the highway. Special in-house strains, half ounces for 160 ounces for 250 Valid through August or while supplies last. Fine flower strains, chocolate, sourdough, blue kush, big smooth, purple OG kush, fruity pebbles, mmm, concentrates, by good cannabis, good titrations, edibles, by AK Frost, and the good cannabis gummies, head on over to Chena Cannabis. Check out the full menu on leafly.com. Open Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 9 p.m. Sunday, noon till 6. You don't have to drive all the way to Fairbanks for your cannabis needs. Save your time. Get your quality cannabis at Chena Cannabis, your North Pole Cannabis Dispensary, Chena Cannabis. for coming on and taking time to discuss cannabis you know i appreciate you willing to share your ideas on this controversial issue even after ballot measure two you know we, we're we're past that we're legalized everything's good welcome to far north tokers robert shields mayoral candidate for the fairbanks north star borough 
Good morning. Thanks for having me. Now, one of the things I wanted to start off with is a, a principal question about government. And ba the, the way I've always looked at representative government, uh, elected officials get in there and they can look at things two ways. They can represent the majority of their populace, and sometimes that's hard to measure. Or um, when you're elected, you are elected as a, a human with uh, rational thoughts and you're elected to make the right decisions and you go on your own. Where do you fit on that continuum as making decisions uh, on your own as an elected official or seeking out the public input? Well, that's a that's a complicated question. The way it was uh, the way it was phrased there. Um, I like to believe that I'm a, an intelligent individual uh, who can make my own decisions. But I always I always take in the um, the thoughts and ideas of of people and what they want to do, and especially in the community and stuff. But the the question about representation, um, you know, I don't think that we're at the point anymore where, where we need. Or where anybody can really represent everybody. I recognize that as mayor, I'm going to be responsible for 100,000 people, some of which voted for me, most of which who didn't vote at all, and then some of who voted against me, some who vote, who have very different ideas than I do. And I recognize that I'm, in, in a sense, responsible to all of them. And the, the good thing about that is that the focus I've had um, is on community development, you know, what kind of things – um, help the most people with the fewest resources. And I think that one of the roles of government is to really look out for those who can't take care of themselves and provide uh, a means to do that. And so really that just focuses on, you know, looking at ways to address core issues like energy and food and economic development and safety and kind of and those kind of things. So I think there's a lot of a lot of people when you ask them what they want, they say good schools, you know, good food and, you know, economic opportunities and stuff like that, which is something we all want. So part of the reason that I'm getting into the election right now is that I think that I'm bringing a perspective um, on a lot of issues, not just cannabis, that um, really isn't being brought up by anyone who's running for office. Or has or anyone who's in office or in any of the commissions has demonstrated any proficiencies or true understanding of. And these are the issues of permaculture and sustainability, specifically as they relate to energy, uh, which basically is a driving force behind you know everything, including the cost of cannabis and the availability of the of the market. So, to answer your question, what I really try to do is to try to engage people. I think that we have the technology now, like with this podcast, that we can elect American idols. I think that we can come together. And uh, one of the things that uh, Alaska has is that we are a group of uh, diverse communities, uh, a lot of them geographically isolated. And uh, the people here in the community, even in Fairbanks, the social media and stuff um, has a has a role to play in, in keeping people connected. And so I think that what I'd like to do and what I've been trying to do with my web page or uh, with my Facebook page is really to engage people. And to, to seek out what they want, to give them my ideas and show them what I've been working on for the last 20 years and how I think that that can really help put uh, Fairbanks in a position to thrive for the next seven generations. Yeah, you've been active in the Fairbanks Cannabis Network, which is good. You're putting your ideas out there. People are talking, get, getting active there. Well, um, I think it's important to, to let people know, and my personal history with cannabis is that my grant, my dad grew in Indiana on her plants every year. 
You know, I remember when I was uh, young showing people how proud I was of the plants growing off the porch, even though I had no idea what I was showing them. Just like the YouTube video today uh, came out that was talking about this girl telling her teacher about all the weed growing in her house. Right. And when her, and when her dad went out to ask her what the weed was she showed her the grass growing in the he or she showed him the grass growing in the yard so you know it's i have um you know there's a lot of stigma around it and i was that's the the answer i was putting down to the uh the first uh, question you have about what's the most important cannabis issue to you and that is to end the cultural stigma and i think that and i want to separate because i'm really the that issue is kind of divided between another issue which has nothing to do with, with the smoking part of it but i'll, I'll get to that in a second but I'm really, as far as the personal use, the cannabis, all that kind of stuff, my focus is really on ending the cultural stigma. Last, uh, just the news this morning, some somebody was talking about how they survived an, an aircraft um, crash, and basically they said they needed a beer. And this was on mainstream public media or the news this morning, and essentially everybody agreed with them. They understood. They they oh yeah, you need to have a beer. You know, it was a stressful situation. However. Had that same individual had had that same individual said, "Oh man, I need a joint. You know, I, I, I need to take a few bong hits or something," they would have probably. I don't think they would have responded with the same kind of empathy. And there's a very good chance that that snippet would have been cut from the newsreel. No, we so, are an alcohol country. We are. Our history is an alcohol. Yeah, we will. As you were talking about, even though we've it's legalized, reefer madness hasn't ended. Um, no, and it, it, it's, what's it's, hard, those people are still living that were so affected by it. I mean, even myself with Nancy Reagan, you know, just say no. That That's a hard mantra hammered into us as young kids. Yeah, and it's complete hypocrisy when you have, uh, you know, when you can go out there and you have caffeine dealers on every corner. You know, in every grocery store, you have uh, a whole variety. You have your own cannabis shop for caffeine and for sugar. And for refined, you know, <laughs> you know, refined flavors. And I think that if uh, on, at, at this level, at this stage of the game, that we have the ability to be responsible adults and know and recognize that tobacco, alcohol, sugar, these are all addictive behaviors, and nothing's good in extreme. It it will yeah. come to a day. I, the president of the United States invites someone to sit down over conflict with a beer. You know, one day someone will invite him to smoke a joint. It'll happen. Well, yeah, and I've often considered how I might be able to, you know, advance that. That's what I've been. So last winter, I started doing the, uh, um, the these friends with weed bonfires here at the house. You know, really low key stuff, just but private property offering, you know, ten to twenty, you know, uh, socially awkward people the opportunity to come hang out around a bonfire, have some food, share some edibles, you know, you know, smoke a few bowls, you know, just relax and make friends. Now the interesting thing is that that kind of activity kind of happens all the time but it happens between people who know each other and the difference is that creating a safe the, the difference and the point is in creating a safe space for people to be able to gather so that's why we actually started a committee and we're looking at ways to do other activities like you know game nights or movie nights or stuff like that you know just ways for people to make new friends and to be able to enjoy the high life together and not make it political or anything like that, but it's always, uh, you know, there's always challenges. That that on the private end, that's beautiful. Like you said, it's been happening all the time with on-site consumption. 
uh, regulations out for public comment in the next 60 days, you know, I guess we're now maybe down to 50 days now. Uh, how will you help steer the borough with on-site consumption? Well, really, I, I think that there's a lot of hypocrisy going on that I want to bring, you know, uh, bring light to. I mean, because uh, I was I was thinking about this that it's really stressful these some of these borough meetings and they last a long time, and you know if I you know if I have anxiety and I want to take an anxiety pill nobody would ever know, but the effects would be the same to my judgment I would be calmer I wouldn't you know most positive. Um, if I were to go out uh, and you know take a snip off a you know a pub or something, then you know very few, very likely no one would know. If somebody got close and you know like right up in my face, they might smell alcohol in my breath. But the effects would be the same. You know I'm not like, talking about getting like totally wasted, just dealing with the anxiety of a long and stressful meeting. But if they if they did smell something, they likely wouldn't say anything. However. If I were to, uh, you know, step out outside or something and take a, you know, take a one puff or something, oh my God, I think I'd be, you know, they'd be trying to impeach me. <laughs> so, you know, and as mayor, it's an interesting, uh, you know, it's an interesting position to take because at the same time, you don't want to encourage people to come to work to, you know, to to use drugs or to drink or anything like that. But again, this goes back to the idea of stigma because no one bats an eye. If someone goes outside and you know and lights up a cigarette, you know there's ashtrays out there. So I mean it's kind of a cultural thing, and I think that we're reaching the point where this kind of hypocrisy, where we have the government telling us this drug is good, that drug's okay, this drug is bad. You know we don't need that. That we don't need that anymore. We're adults, and we need to start acting like it, and being treated like it. I think that I really am small government, um, believing that we need to take more personal responsibility. I think there's way too much of us talking about all the rights we have, and far too discussions about how few, how much responsibility we need to take to protect those rights. But anyway, I digress into other matters. No, that's fine. That, that's good. It's all principles. Have you toured any of the cannabis licenses? Um, I've toured some of the stores, and I've been I've had the opportunity to work in Alaska Blooms. Uh, one of the questions you ask here, I think, is if I have any license. And right now, the only license I hold is the uh, uh, cannabis card worker, so I can work in any of the industries and stuff like that. And actually, that was part of my kind of kickoff campaign or kickoff to my campaign fundraising was uh doing a couple of days working with one of the growers and uh being able to raise the money to you know start with advertising registration and stuff like that uh, that, that that's a good point to bring up because some of the some of the uh, cannabis community has been bringing up that uh, uh leaders on amco on the amco board don't have their handlers card and they're expecting everyone that works in the industry to have that card. So it, it's nice that if if you would be making regulations that you would actually have the card and you've gone through the process of getting in there. That's good. Yeah, well, I actually, you know, I, I think it's uh, over I think the whole card thing is overregulation. You know, I can see that maybe some people like in the testing, you know, where it's really, you know, really specific and there's a, a knowledge base. But the idea that you know you don't again this is part I think it just goes back to the stigma because I've also worked in Portland where we had to have our alcohol license in convenience stores where we had to go through the carding opportunities for tobacco and stuff like that and 
if any uh, if the regulations that they're applying to the cannabis industry had were ever applied to uh, getting alcohol or tobacco at any of the major stores, those stores would no longer sell those items. I mean, it's ridiculous how 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 much uh, how burdensome the regulations are with these kind of people. And I recognize that the states in you know. Me, it looks like it's just a way for the state to make a lot of money. I mean, it's 125 bucks to uh, to get a card, to get the license, to do the testing, and it's the testing is ridiculously simple. Right, depending on which course you take it. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's so it's it's confusing. It just I, I think it's a, 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 a I think that the licensing for most part to be able to work in the cannabis industry is burdensome uh, bureaucracy. And it's not something that I would support uh, needing to do except for like people in the testing industry or maybe in the cultivation industry. I haven't looked enough to be able to really make an informed decision, but that's my gut feeling on it. Okay. Well, how about like the alcohol industry just being made aware that you can't serve to people under 21 and just the certain regs at a retail shop. You're not allowed to sell over an ounce and things like that. Well, like I said, the comparison knowledge that I have is being is working in retail and in management and having to go to so and this was in Portland and we had to go to a couple of days worth of classes on all of the regulations on carding people on on fake IDs on you know at one point they were requiring that anybody in the car that looked even close to 21 also had to be carded and you can imagine the kind of black hmm. that got back but they were so paranoid because they were doing these secret stings and uh, you know it was costing these stores tens of thousands of dollars for a clerk who makes minimum wage. And in Portland, they were actually left alone by themselves. They didn't have two, two or three people working with them, so this, this stress was – but anyway, the, the point is is that I, I think that a lot of this is over-regulation. We're not we, – we were sold on the idea that this stuff would be regulated like, like alcohol and tobacco, and it's not. It's being regulated like a pharmaceutical narcotic. I mean, I, I look at I, I've never seen uh, the bars on the windows at Safeway or uh, or of the hub, you know, of the, the brown jug. You know, I was, you know, I, I guess I thought, you know, maybe it was uh, maybe a little naive to think that when cannabis became legal, it wouldn't be long before I would be able to go to Walmart and buy, you know, in the same line where I buy tobacco, buy those to buy those, um, uh, you know, try those Marlboro Greens. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not the case, or go or go to holiday, you know. And the tax, the tax would still be gathered the same. Now the challenge is, is that I do represent, I do uh, recognize and appreciate that the burden, the the kind of regulations with setting up these special shops with all these, you know, cameras and stuff like that. You know, it's created jobs, and that's a good thing because we definitely need jobs that allow people to do what they like doing, even if they're not making a whole lot of money doing it, because that's you know, at least they can enjoy going to work. You know, I've done, I've taken jobs working at Fred Meyer's and Safeway and retail, and the the most challenging part for me of working in those industries has nothing to do with the the, the mind numbing job I was asked to do. It was seeing good people working long hours, many two jobs, just to provide for their families, the families they never get to see, and then they get these reports from the schools. The kids are acting up because they don't have the parental supervision because the parents are out there working two to three jobs to try to keep a roof over their head. It's a vicious cycle of poverty, and it's something that we need to stop. And the, the thing is is that we are, we are such a small community. There is a lot of things that we can do after we come together as a community that we don't need the federal government. We don't need the state government. 
that we can move away from that kind of uh, way, uh, move away from that kind of behavior, and start really looking at each other as a community. Because I'll tell you one thing: in the event of a long-term supply disruption, Fairbanks is going to be cut off from a lot of things. The one thing that we will have in abundance is a lot of people looking at each other, wondering what we're going to do. I'm all of the work that I've been doing with the nonprofit, politically, economically, have been to try to insulate our community against such events and to be proactive about bringing people together to work on solutions like setting up smelters, like recycling systems that actually utilize the resources we have to make the things we need. I had an opportunity to go to the China Hot Springs Renewable Energy Fair this weekend and make a present on, presentation on um, anaerobic digestion. And for the layperson, that is basically home brew natural gas. You can go online and buy a residential unit for 700 bucks. Um, the complicated part of it, you know, you can use to uh, process uh, municipal waste. And uh, somebody tried to tell me that the, the coal plant, they chose the university. They looked at all the existing technology and what was most, co was most cost effective at the time. And I'm like, oh, yeah? So I sent them a case study about uh, the city of Portland, and they built four anaerobic digesters, basically big four big tanks, uh, pressure cookers, uh, very small pressure, but pressure cookers nonetheless to, to take the waste, and 60% of our landfill is organic. That's a fuel source. So taking that, and they convert it into energy, and they use that to heat the tanks, but they also use that to provide heat and power to the, uh, to the home. It's exactly the same kind of thing we have here, except instead of using coal, they use an organic material. And the, the interesting thing about this uh, story is that the case study was from 1984. That's how long the technology has been available. But in 2010, we, they were being told that we didn't – that the technology wasn't available or for whatever reason it wouldn't work. It's just – a lot of distraction. So, but anyway, I, again, I, I digress. I'm, and this can, cheaper energy is going to make cheaper cannabis. Well, you know, and that's part of the ch the challenge is that when I decided to run for office, I was told you got to keep it simple for busy people. You got to keep your message simple, and you got to hammer it over and over again. And so I've stuck with with solar because it's simple technology, simple financing, simple to install. Um, it doesn't help in the wintertime, but it's not meant to be a goal, uh, to be a silver bullet. It means it's meant to reframe the, the conversation. Now, in respect, methane digestion, anaerobic digestion, is something that can be done at a community level, industrial level, and a household level. And it, it's something that can provide heat all year long. And the residential unit, the way they promote it online is that for just with the stuff that you put down the kitchen sink, this isn't talking about your, your own waste, but just that alone produces enough to cook one meal a day. You know, And obviously you can tweak that, um, but the idea is that we do have local resources that are available, and when something happens – you know, just like we happened last, uh, just not too long ago, where the uh, um, a problem down the line cost half the town its power. You know, what happens if that happens in, in the middle of winter? All these people with all these people that are now forced to go over to heating oil and stuff because of the clean air stuff and can't use their wood stoves. What are they going to do if there's no power to run that little bitty fan and a burner on their uh, their Toyo stoves? Have you looked into the the uh, power increase that our community has gone through since uh, legal cannabis with all these uh, cultivations pulling in so much power? Uh, no. I wonder, wonder what, what the increase has been. 
no, my focus, my focus in that has been on trying to figure out how to get, uh, <clears throat> how to apply the same financing opportunities that the schools have for getting free solar. Uh, apply them to the cannabis industry because of the le- because of the federal stuff. So I've been working hard, and I found I, I think I found some really good solutions around that. And now I'm just talking to a few of the the cultivators about uh, you know trying to start some projects in that direction. Currently, our tax structure in the state, we've got a $50 per ounce going to the state from the cultivators when it gets to the retail, and then we've got our local sales taxes and then a federal tax. How um, do you agree? Is a tax structure good right now, or do we need to do anything to change it? Well, the first tagline on my campaign slogan is no new taxes. Um, I really think that we have money to provide the services and the maintenance of the buildings, which is what taxes are supposed to go for. Um, we have that falling from the sky. We have it growing like weeds in the ground, and we have, uh, you know, we have that hidden in our trash. So I think the borough has a lot of, of, of untapped financial resources that we need to be looking at before we, um, you know, we we try to change any taxes. I don't, I don't like taxes at all. Um, I, I think that that's just um, an irresponsible way for government to provide services. Um, we have other opportunities. I mean, even the nonprofits. So look at Stone Soup. I mean, one of the ways that they're sustaining themselves is they're offering catering services, and they're giving people jobs doing that. Why can't our government be more like that? You know, so so essentially, I wouldn't. I'm not going to deal with the tax and any trying to change any of the tax structures or anything like that. My focus is really, really, really focused on new sources of revenue. And bringing in those new sources of revenues in ways that's going to bring uh, living wage jobs, you know, so people can actually work one job. Their might their wife might even be able to stay home, or their husband or their partner might be able to stay with the children and actually raise them with good morals instead of expe- expecting that the 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 internet and uh, computer games are going to do it for them. So I mean, there's a lot of ben- social benefits to um, to bringing in new revenue. But as it relates to new taxes, I'm not – no new taxes of any kind, sales tax. I don't, I don't approve the mill rate. I'm not supporting any kind of bond measures. You know, we, I offered the Friends of Mary Side the opportunity to put up a solar farm, 100 kW, which would have brought in $440,000 a year annually at no cost to anyone. But it would have required Golden Valley to actually pay what they charge us for power, and they don't want to do that. So that, again – goes into another conversation, but it's why um, I think this is uh, this energy thing is so important, and I ask the indulgence of the community for me harping on it so um, relentlessly. Do you support a cap on cannabis licenses, whether manufacturing, retail, cultivation, like the city has? No. No, I think that there's a lot of opportunity out there for the cannabis community, and this would be a good. This is a good time for me to, to mention that. You know, I looked at all these questions, and I've seen all the discussion about cannabis in the community and the state and stuff like that. And what bothers me most is that all of this has to do with the flower, whether it can be used as medicine or as recreation, but it's all still looking at the flower. There's just now starting to be conversations about what my real focus is and my, my, my most important cannabis issue is, and that's hemp. You know, Alaska needs a new economy. 
And we need to find ways to be able to take what we have available. And Canada is a huge global producer in hemp. We outside we have a good uh, we have a uh, a good supply and a good ability. And I think that one of the opportunities for hemp in Alaska is really to be able to offer an economic tool to the remote communities. You know, I've been thinking about this as mayor. One of the things that I would probably try to do is to go down to Ninana and talk to them about setting up a hemp uh, processing plant where we can gather from hemp farms all over the state because it's along the rail line and stuff. But, uh, you know, be able to gather from all over the state uh, the fibers. And I'm not talking – this is different than the way we grow the the fibers that we would get from the flowering, uh, that industry. But I'll I'll get to that in a second because the – the difference in growing hemp for the fibers and growing hemp and using the leftovers for fibers is that when you grow hemp for fibers, you usually want to grow them really close together so they grow straight and tall. Whereas with when you're growing flour, you want it to branch out and have more flour. So the type of use for those two different types of feedstock would be different. I've talked to the folks over at Superior Hardwood, and then, and I'm ast- I'm astounded that the um, – Current industry doesn't allow for these uh, these cultivators to be able to take their material to a place like uh, Superior Pellets who can grind it up, mix it with their wood, and use that as a part of their pellet mix. I mean it's a waste. It's a huge waste. Um, and that was, and that's one of the things that as mayor I would definitely work towards. You know, opening up more borough land to farmers who want to grow hemp, because hemp can, as as I'm sure every single one of your listeners are, listeners already know. You know, it provides a fiber, it provides you know oils, it provides everything that we, it provides a large majority of the things that we need to be able to grow and make the things we need we need. And that's been one of my key focuses of of, of climate resilience is the development of local economies, and we can do that with, with cannabis. And I think that Nina can use the revenue, can use the jobs, and I think is a good place to look at uh, focusing it. But – and this kind of goes back to the tax issue. We can't be – we can't burden new industry. And I think one of the things that's uh, a challenge to the cannabis industry in general is that the government is looking – the only reason they approved it is because they saw a cash cow. And now that they, they it's legal, they're trying to tax it from every angle and trying to get every angle at the, you know at the top. And you know the only thing that's kind of, that kind of behavior is going to do is going to drive the market back underground, and that's what and nobody wants to see that. So we need to get it right, and we have an opportunity being so small. But the one thing we need we don't have is people being engaged. And I hope that all the people that are taking time to listen to these um, these tasks. Are getting out, getting out and voting, because if you're not getting out and voting, then you know, silence. What what do they say? The silence is the uh, the voice of the oppressor. And right. It is definitely one way in our republic to uh, to get things to happen is the vote. But I agree, it's not the last thing. But we'll we may have, we may have to have a co- another conversation on more in, in depth. <laughs> right. Um, you you've said a lot of the positives and negatives, but I wanna I wanna let you answer it just straight up framed under the question. Um, do you see cannabis as a positive in our community? Absolutely, I believe cannabis can save the world. That's easy. And how about negatives? I I, I I'll pull out the hemp. You know, that's one of the negatives of the cannabis industry, maybe that we haven't pushed for hemp now that uh, legal, recreational, medicinal is available. 
is there any other negative that you've seen with the cannabis industry since legalization? Well, the negative I see is from the mainstream culture, and it goes back to the begin- what we started talking about, and that's the stigma. I mean it's ridiculous that someone can go out and they can use opioids, they can use cocaine, they can use a lot of things and still show up to work the next day. But if somebody smokes a joint, technically they shouldn't show up to work for 30 days, and I think that's ridiculous. Um, I, I'm definitely going to be looking into closely what we could do at the borough level to be able to do it. I'll be interested to see what's going to happen if I win, if anybody's going to bring up that there's a good chance that when I show up for the first day of work, I'm going to have some THC in my system. So that'll be a, that it would be legal, right? But I understand the stigma. You've got to break through boundaries. Well, the, it's it's quasi, it, uh, it, you know. The, the the it should be legal because the borough gets its money to pay the mayor's salary from the borough uh you know from borough funds but there's federal components but there's a really big gray area about what's going on here with it and you know even the people who work in the industry right now there's they're being um challenged because if you work in the cannabis industries like one of the um uh trimmers that you're you get paid in cash and then you're not supposed to, if you take that money to the bank aren't you laundering drugs you know it's really <laughs> this is why i support this is why i support a state bank not run by the utility but uh this is why i support uh, credit unions and local you know local agencies um we have a better chance of setting something up um to be able to process these funds um and make it easier and safer for these uh um these business owners because I don't know of any other business that that has to have so much cash on hand or have to worry about everything being run in cash. I mean, that's again, that's another one of the issues that we need to work on. Yeah, I feel we're we're very lucky in this community that uh, more hasn't more crime hasn't happened in that cash economy right there. Well, I think we're, one of the reasons we're fortunate is because so many people actually grow. You know, they don't not for sale or anything like that. There's just it's a lot of people. You know, they have gardens, and that's a good thing. Um, one of the reasons that I, this is actually one of the reasons I really uh, support the cannabis industry that nobody thinks about is that because we are so um, remote and we import 95% of our food, um, we only have a three day supply. So what's going to happen in the middle of winter if we run out of food? Well, fortunately, everybody who's got a garden and all the cultivators, I can conceive of a scenario where – now, I hope nobody cries, but I can conceive of a scenario that in the face of a food shortage that the, the cannabis cultivators, both commercial and residential, could be, grow, could be converted to grow microgreens, could be, grown, could be used to grow food to get us through the winter because I think that's the biggest threat that we have right now is a food disruption in the middle of winter. I'm tracking you, Robert. I, I, when you were mentioning that earlier about running out of food, I was just thinking of all the little indoor gardens that would just pop up. I'm glad you brought that back. Yeah, well, one of the my nonprofit, the Alliance for Reason and Knowledge, one of our four, our core focuses is on food security. And while we're more more popularly known for the the challenging effort of trying to convert the Polaris Hotel into a vertical farm, one of the more successful things we have um, uh, is the Gorilla Gardening Program, which basically looks at growing growing food where you can with what you have and and where you're at. And this summer we've got a nice little uh, bottle garden. Over on uh, over on a friend's house, demonstrating how you can grow anywhere in anything, and that's what we need to be doing, right? You know, and so we encourage that on every level. What would you think if I sang a 
Now be a patron of Far North Tokers at patreon.com slash midtoker. Listeners supporting the artists financially for as little as $2 a month. You can help steer Far North Tokers through guest suggestions, reviews, new equipment for the show. Let's me know that Far North Tokers is important to you and I can just keep on keeping on. Thank you to long-term patrons, Marilyn Bergman, Carrie Mullis, Ramblin' Ranger, Peggy Peters, and Aaron Morton. Here's Tobin. That's good to hear. Can, can someone who doesn't consume cannabis regulate cannabis? I think they can. I, I, I think part of the point of having these boards, and this goes all the way through federal, uh, federal government, is being able to provide perspective. So I think that someone who's never used cannabis can certainly provide a perspective. Now, can someone who's who's been brought up in a an environment of ultra reform? Okay, let me let me ask that again because you were going off into something great and then it just went nothing. Can someone who does not consume cannabis regulate cannabis? And one of the things that you brought up is perspective, and I I, I love that that. Uh, even though you haven't participated in something, you, you do bring a perspective, a point of view. And then on the other hand, though, we, we have to make sure that they're open. Sitting on these boards, they, they cannot be reefer madnessed out. We're, we're not there to stifle the industry. We're there to uh, be positive ambassadors for this new industry, right? Well, I, I, okay, so this, goes, this, is, this is where I got cut out because um, I, I have to draw a line there in that I think that someone who has reefer madness has just as much right to be on a board that, that uh, in, is involved in the regulation of the state just as much as people you know, who are very much Willie Nelson cannabis. Um, and that is because of this issue of perspective. Now, should a person who is reefer madness, you know, be able to go behind other people's backs and get seven other, you know, get most of the board to be able to vote their way before you ever get to the meeting? No. And that occurs a lot. That kind of backroom dealing and corruption occurs all over the place. And the, the, the beautiful thing right now is that the chaos that we're going through with the IGU and the Interior Energy Project, that kind of corruption and that kind of backroom dealing and, and, sh and musical chairs – that, that, that's actually now playing out right above the city council and the IGU. That is exactly the same kind of BS that occurs all over the place, especially in this uh, in the emerging cannabis industry. As the people who are greedy for money see money coming through this and try to maneuver themselves into positions so they can influence where the board goes. That's completely different than somewhat than an individual who is completely engulfed for their own reasons in reefer madness being on the board because they do at least represent a portion of the community that we live with and as i and as i said before in the event of a, a supply disruption we're going to be the ones that we're left with all of the people the people we agree with and the people we don't agree with and i think that now we have an opportunity to proactively learn how to get along so in short i, I think that it's all about perspective and so i don't think that it's uh required to be on the regulatory board to um to even be open to the idea of cannabis but like i said i think that provides a perspective and we all need to keep perspective last question if elected mayor what is one skill you can offer the cannabis community uh next to free energy It's a skill I've been working on for nearly a decade. The last thing I did before I left Portland was help out get us 863 community solar KW community solar project off the ground. 
I've been focusing on financing, which is the key because solar, as an example of the renewable energy technologies available to us, is low-hanging fruit. And so starting there, I think we can unravel this complicated mystery of energy, and ultimately it's going to it's going to lower the cost of living and increase the quality of life across the board, including in the cannabis industry. Hey, thanks, Robert. Is there anything else you want to share with the audience before, before we're done here? Yeah, I would encourage anybody who wants to be an entrepreneur in this industry, especially in the um, in the concentrates with the herbals, the food stuff. I mean, we can definitely the techno the scale of technology has changed, so we can definitely set up businesses that uh, you know take some of these seeds and make them into products. We have none of this manufacturing capacity here. We've got a lot of companies that are trying to sell this stuff, but unfortunately, they have to to buy it on you know to buy it online. But again, as I as I tackle the energy challenges i'm looking to create opportunity for new entrepreneurs so i encourage anybody who has an entrepreneur spirit and is interested in getting into some of these manufacturing gigs start getting their business plans together hey nice uh, well thanks again for coming on far north tokers and running for public office good luck to you thanks for having me have a great day Thank you for joining us on Far North Tokers. You can find more episodes of this time capsule of Alaskan cannabis on SoundCloud and iTunes. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Send questions and comments to midtoker at farnorthtokers.com. M-I-D-T-O-K-E-R at farnorthtokers.com. And now, Patreon. Help support the show financially at patreon.com slash midtoker. Here's Token. Here's Token.